Amen. Good to be with you as we continue in our study here in the book of Revelation, the letters that Jesus sent to these churches. There were seven churches in Asia Minor, in what we would call Turkey, and these, this was the last thing Jesus said to any church from when he rose from the dead. He did this in the 90s AD. Really doesn't, we don't hear anything else from him until uh, what he has to say when he comes back. So these letters are really interesting and important. If you've been with us, you know that there were seven churches that were in a line that starting at the southwest corner of Turkey in Ephesus, right there where the Mediterranean Sea and the Aegean Sea meet. And then you had, you go up north about 50 miles to Smyrna. You go up another 50 to Pergamos. Then last week we saw where you go inland, east, about 50 miles and to Thyatira. Now they turn, the direction goes south as they're continuing, they're going to finish this loop as he goes down to Sardis and then to Philadelphia and, and finally to Laodicea. So it's a big loop of churches. The book of Revelation is going to go to all of them, but Jesus wrote special notes to each of them to really personalize this encounter that they were having with the risen Lord. And so Sardis is an interesting one. It's kind of, I call it the zombie church. Imagine getting a letter from Jesus saying, yeah, you guys are dead. You just don't know it yet. You're still moving around. You're still doing what you do, but you're dead as far as I'm concerned. Um, so obviously I'm sure that was hard for them. Sardis is an interesting city. It has a great history. Um, it, you can still find it today on Apple Maps. It's called Sart today, S-A-R-T. So if you go Sart, Turkey, you'll see right where it is. It, it is on a hillside overlooking the Hormuz River Valley. It's a beautiful area in central Turkey. Um, the city was notable because they built it up on top of a plateau where it was easy to defend it. There were sheer cliffs on all sides. The only way you could get into the city was they had a secret pathway that would lead up to the city. So it made it easy to defend. All you have to do is defend that pathway and you defend the city. The earliest thing, things we know of Sardis goes back to the 1600s, maybe a little bit older than that, where it was a Hittite city. The, the Hittites were one of the Canaanite civilizations that spread around and worked their way down. Now, we know that historically as the Persian kingdom was kind of taking over everything. The Persian kingdom had, you know, in the 6th century BC, had given, Cyrus had given permission to Ezra and Nehemiah Zerubbabel to go back to Israel from the Babylonian captivity, begin to rebuild Jerusalem. About that same time, Cyrus heads over into Turkey and he comes to this city of Sardis decided to conquer it while he was in the neighborhood. So he, they, they looked at it and they're like, wow, how do we get into this place? One of his soldiers, supposedly, saw a guy up on the wall, one of the guards of the fort, 
that dropped his helmet and it went boom, 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 down. And so they go, what? Let's see where he goes. The guy comes out and they see right where the secret pathway is while he comes down and gets his helmet and then carries it back up. So they just thought, let's take an army up that path at night and we're probably going to meet opposition right in that one area. But, well, as Cyrus's guys headed up the path, they didn't get any opposition. When they got up on to the, to the gate of the wall, the guards were asleep. So they took over very easily. And the city was kind of insulted ever since. People love to laugh about that, that, that their, their kingdom fell because of guards that were falling asleep. And Jesus kind of references a little bit in here as well. Well, so then it went on. Later on, ironically, you know, around the second century BC, um, the uh, Antiochus Epiphanes came as, as one of the final Greek leaders before the Romans took everything over. And he conquered the city the same way. Goes up there, guards are asleep, and he conquers it. So, um, but the city was very wealthy. They were luxurious, luxurious to the point of fault almost. You know, they, they had a reputation of being spoiled and lazy. And you know, they sat on their laurels because of, they lived in such a secure place. Um, it was a big financial center of Asia Minor for hundreds of years. In fact, it, they really invented money as we know it. The, the oldest coins that anyone has found were from Sardis. So it was, they had a great history. Now later on, the city you know, fell under the Romans. It became kind of devastated by about five or 600 AD. All that's left, and to this day really, all that's left in Sardis is archaeological digs and then a small village of a few people. But they had their big day, and then things began to go downhill, and everybody said it was because they were rich and spoiled, and they were lazy. And so that's kind of the city. Now let's see what Jesus says to the church that's there. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 to the angel or the messenger, probably the pastor of the church in Sardis. I'm writing this to you. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Back in chapter one, the glorified Christ is visualized with several graphic images. And in each of these letters, he'll use one or more of them to identify himself as the glorified Christ. So the seven spirits of God, probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a little weird, but that's the best, that's the best suggestion I've ever heard. Seven is a number of completion, and so the Holy Spirit is you know, completely the Spirit, and then the seven stars are the churches that Jesus is moving among them. So it's just an identification. No need to waste a lot of time laboring on that. But look what he says to them. I know your works. Your air gone. I see what you're doing. That's what he says to all the churches. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. So he's like, I hear about you. I know your reputation. People have said good things about you. And they're like, oh, nice. I mean, how would that make you feel if somebody goes, 
oh, hey, we've never met, but man, I've heard great things about you. So that's kind of what Jesus is saying to the church. But just this one thing, you're dead. (laughs) You're zombies. You are, you know, people think you're alive. In fact, you think you're alive. But in reality, what you are is nothing like what life actually resembles. You are on your last legs. You, many of you are still alive, but you're on life support. You think you're alive because the little meter is still beeping in the hospital, but that's not really, you know, life to, a, to, to an extent. So the church, the people who were there, the Christians, the city, it's like, yeah, I hear good things. They even have some great history, but the problem is they're dead. That's, you know, I'm sure that was offensive to them, but now he begins to tell them, if you don't want to stay dead, here's what you need to do. If you want to progress beyond where you are right now, here's here's some thoughts. First of all, in verse 2, be watchful. That word watchful literally means to stay awake. But when somebody was on guard, and this is probably a slam on their history in Sardis where you know they were known for the place that the guards would fall asleep. So he says, in the same way, your relationship with God, your very existence as you know, people who are connected to him hinges on whether or not you are willing to stay awake and pay attention. And so this church needed to be shook up. Now telling them that they are dead, telling them that they're like weekend at Bernie's where it's like you're acting like you're alive, but you're really not, or like Washington, D.C., But he's like, first of all, wake up. Pay attention. Now, we all know times in our lives when we just kind of doze off. We just kind of aren't really thinking actively. We're just kind of coasting. I know for me, and maybe it probably happens sometimes more third service, people are just tired. And so they're sitting there and I can see people who I know they don't understand a word I'm saying but they're just fighting to stay awake and I sometimes have people meet me at the back door and they say you can answer that Um, they can say they come up and go I feel so bad that I was falling asleep in church and I'm like no I'm if I can give you a nap I'm happy you obviously needed it I'm never offended if people fall asleep it's fine but at the same time There are people who live their whole lives in a daze, in a haze. Um, By the way, everything that he's applying to churches applies to relationships, friendships, uh, other things in our lives as well. It's like, first of all, you need to wake up. You need to go, look, pay attention here. I need your full attention. And so he's telling them that, hey, wake up and be alert. Starts there. But then he says, and strengthen the things which remain. There's still signs of life, but you need to strengthen them. Now, the word there for strengthen is a word that refers to um, the idea of balancing things out. It's, you know, you strengthen them by stabilizing them. So the way you do that, when things are off balance, you figure out where they're off balance and you try to create a sense of normalcy 
by, you know, and our lives are that way. Churches are that way sometimes too, where it's like all of a sudden things are out of balance. Like all you're doing is pushing that or all you're doing is living. And then we go, and I know when I get tired, my life, it's easy to get my life out of balance because there are plenty of times when, and I'll, I can kind of judge how balanced my life is based on how many Dodger games I've watched. Because <laughs> it's like so easy when I'm just like, ugh, turn on the Dodgers. And turning on the Angels gives me a different reaction. And it's just like, ugh. With the Dodgers, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to go to bed now because I know they're going to come back. They're going to win this game, and it's going to be fine. But other people waste time on Netflix, watching movies, doing other things that are nonsensical. What we do is we feel like we have to fill in the time, but at the same time, we don't have the energy to actually fill it in with something meaningful, so we have our default position. Like, when I'm... Like in a daze, here's what I do to kill time. Here's how I put myself, you know, out of the misery of going, oh, something's missing. And so what Jesus is saying to this church is, if you want to be stable, then that happens because you wake up, pay attention, and then you arrange the things in your life so that there's a balance so that then you're able to live your life and make the best decisions and live the best life that you can live. This is something that we should all consider regularly. We should always look at my life and and say, okay, if I want to know how my life is balanced, just look at what you spend money on, what you spend time on, and what you worry about. And combined, those will show what matters the most. Well, if you look at that total and you go, that's not really what I think is most important, then there's a shuffling that's in order. There's, there needs to be a reassessment and saying, okay, I think I'm going to make some shifts so that what my life is valuing is actually what I value, not just doing the default because it's the easiest. It's kind of like, you know, you have different people in your life who play different roles. And, you know, you don't want to live your life and... Who do you hang out with? Well, just whoever's left. <laughs> you know, I don't know, whatever happens to be there. What are you going to do? I don't know. Just the first thing I think of. Where intentionally, if we look at our lives and realize life is really important. See, one of the things that makes you dead, like Sardis, is when all of a sudden life doesn't really matter that much to you in the first place. It doesn't feel like a gift. It just feels like something we talk about killing time which kills us. So Jesus is saying, if you want to gain life back, then you need to start by saying, wake up and now begin to stabilize, begin to balance, look for what you really value and what's really important to you and give some attention to those things. So he says, uh, and again, it's the things which remain, whatever lasts, do that. And they're ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. He's not saying that they aren't perfect. But that word in the Greek for perfect is plerao. It's a word that means the total package, the whole thing. It's the same word in Colossians chapter 2 when Paul's talking about 
Jesus being God, and he says, in him, Colossians 2, 8, 9, in him dwells all the plerao, all the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form, and in him you are made plerao, you are made complete. So he's saying there's something missing in your life, and you want to figure out what that is because your life can be infinitely more valuable, more vital. Life will be much better for you when you are using your energy in things that really make you the best version of you that you can be. You are maximizing your gifts and and your potentials. And so he said, you know, and remember in verse 3, now it's a time to think back. Because if I look at my life and I go, how in the world did I get where I am? Well, there's a simple way to figure out how you got where you are. Use your memory. Look back and say, when it wasn't like this, when I was energized, when I was excited, when I had a sense of vision and calling and a sense of joy and meaning and fulfillment in my life, how did that go? And so he says, guys, go back in your memory banks and remember how you have received and heard. That word receive is a word... um, When we think of receive, we think of something just gives it to you and you just take it. But the word here in the Greek, lambano, is a word that means to grab a hold of. And so what he's he's saying is, I want you to think back, what was it that energized you so much that you had to grab it, that you really went for it, that you would have in that moment done almost anything or traded almost anything for it. And I think for all of us, thinking back in our lives and saying, Okay, was there a time in my history when I decided, like the old song says, I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Why did you do that? Well, you were raised that way. That's not good enough to make that define your life. Or I was going through a really hard time. No, what was it about walking with Jesus that looked like, I want to go after that, that motivates me? And again, it's the same way in relationships with people. To th- a key to a relationship with a person is to never lose sight of what is it that drew me to this person in the first place? What is it that caused me to go, okay, I'm all in on this? Well, in the same way with our relationship with Jesus, if we forget why we did it in the first place, then we lose our, our sense of of priorities. We don't know how then to balance the load at all either. Uh, you know, memory, remembering is good if you remember it in the context of today. Sometimes memories can be bad. If you, there are some people who just like, oh, the good old days, it was so great. You distort it, you make it something that was better than what it really was. You really le- exclude yourself from it and you get nostalgic. Jesus isn't saying, you guys need to return to the way Christianity was in the 40s, you know, AD. No, it's like, no, what was it that you grabbed for? What was it that you said, I need that? And it certainly wasn't, you know, there are all kinds of accoutrements around, like you can when we think back on our lives, there might be a song that was really meaningful to you 
at the time, and now it's not meaningful to you anymore. It, there are a lot of these things that are fleeting. What, I mean, I was mentioning this morning that there was a song called MacArthur Park that was beautiful. I loved the song, and it had such brilliant lyrics as, someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think I can take it because it took so long to bake it, and I'll never have that recipe again. And I'm like, wow, that just moved me. You can't, you can't totally appreciate it without drugs, but it was, you know, it was like, what, what was it about that that actually drew me? What was it that made the difference? Why, it was, it's not the magic of the music. And the same thing in church. I, I love older music, I love newer music, but you can't look at it and go, well, that music was special and this music isn't. No, if that music was special, what made it special? When, when I think of my walk with the Lord and when I became a Christian, it's like, I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be around people. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to memorize it. I wanted to pray. All of those things were, it wasn't all the peripheral stuff. It was at the core. And so Jesus is saying, I want you in a healthy way to remember what was going on. Remember why you grabbed it, why you really wanted that. And then he says to hold fast um, and repent. Hold fast means guard it. Once you figure out what matters, what's valuable, once you get your values a little clarified, now you need to protect that. That's what, that's what that word means. It's set a guard and don't let it get away. Don't have this moment of, of introspection and go, wow, that's really true. Okay, moving on. <laughs> he goes, no, make that something that you hang on to and repent. That word is used so much in the scriptures and most people don't understand what it means. And it, the word repent, metanoia in the Greek, means think again, think differently, continue to think about what's going on. Because as we look at our past and we look at our lives, we look at what our life has become. You know, at some point you go, there's nothing here. There are people who just decide life isn't worth living. Or they just decide, I'm just hanging in here and I'm going to survive. And you spend enough energy on things that don't matter and your life becomes pretty meaningless. It's simple mathematics. And you have Johnny Cash saying that song by Trent Reznor, um, Hurt. And, and it has a line in there, what have I become? My empire of dirt. And it's like, that's the feeling. If you get to the point where it's like, everything I've built is nothing, is meaningless. It's just garbage. Maybe you've been to that point. I hope that you haven't been. Maybe you're at the point right now where it's like, what was all this even about? So Jesus says, start to think differently. Okay, he goes, I've got your attention. <laughs> you're awake. And I have you deciding that what you want to do is find a stability. That you want to do is balance out your life. That I want you to remember what it was that was really important. I want you to live your life in such a way that you are still valuing those core principles that led your life 
to ever be meaningful to you in the first place or your relationship to ever be meaningful to you in the first place, now think differently. See, a lot of times we, when we begin to think back and remember, we can fall back into thinking the same things that we thought before, but it doesn't work that way because now we know more, we've experienced more. Your mind is more capable of thinking in a fresh way because of the fact that you've thought about a lot of things for a long time, and now that's the way life is supposed to be lived. Continue to think fresh. Don't just think in a rote way the way that you always did. That's the way people fall into just kind of ridiculous nostalgia where it's like, yeah, I want to bring back the old days. Nobody in their right mind wants to bring back any old days. What everyone wants to do is let's move forward. Let's build on what has been here. Let's look at everything that we experienced and realize, hey, some of it was garbage. Some of it was a blessing. How do we put this all together in a structured way? And now I become better at thinking. And if I'm better at thinking, I'm better at doing life because I'm actually repenting. I'm bringing along this other way of of consideration. And so he says, therefore, if you will not watch, taking us back to the beginning, if you won't stay awake, if you just continue to be numb, you know, there was that song, Comfortably Numb, um, you know, that, that was the idea of you get to the point where, and he said, it was a Pink Floyd song, I think it, it's like, I have become comfortably numb. And I wonder how many Christians become comfortably numb. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing this. And it's like Jesus is grabbing this dying corpse and he's going, no, there's more for you than this. There's more to life than this. I don't want you to just sit there and wait to die. If you're waiting to die, you're already dead in reality. But if you still have the ability to reflect and consider and to make choices, make a difference. That's what life is made of. But he says, if you don't do it, I'll come upon you as a thief and you won't know what hour I'll come upon you. So he goes, it's going to be over before you know it. And the truth is, like a thief breaking into your house, obviously, if you knew they were going to come, you would have had precautions set up. I mean, the companies that sell burglar alarms do really well by finding people whose houses have already been broken into and they sell them an alarm. That's the way most of us live our lives, after things fall apart. That's why people aren't like, oh, how can I, how can I make better friends or how can I have a better marriage or how can, I, how can our church be more what it... No, we wait until it's trashed and then we're like, whoa, what happened? How did this happen? And so Jesus is telling them, no, it's going to come, it's going to happen, and sooner or later you're going to die, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. And then you'll have to be able to consider, what could I have done that I didn't do? I mean, when there are people in our lives that, eh, we just don't take the time to check in with them, and then they die, and we're like, gosh, I had one more opportunity. See, we have to be awake, and that's what he's saying. But then in verse 4, he goes, not everybody, I'm not saying everybody in Sardis is dead. He goes, and I don't know how much of a compliment this is, but you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. 
that's in the Greek, that's a nice way of saying that you haven't pooped your pants yet. Okay. <laughs> so, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. <laughs> because there are some of you that haven't completely ruined this. You still have an opportunity to make something out of your life, out of your church, out of your relationship with me. Um, don't wait until it's too late. I'm still here. I'm still hoping. The reason I'm talking to you is because I really believe that you could have it better than you have it right now. And so then he says, you know, be clothed in white. And he'll be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Blot his name out of the book of life. We could go into a whole lot, and I'm sure if you go on the webpage and look at my need to know thing in theology, I'll deal with the whole, can you lose your salvation, can you not, and everything. But all he's saying is, now there are people who try to go, wait, can your name be blotted out of the book of life? Which, since it's Jesus talking, and since in the book of Revelation it says, if your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to hell, then this is kind of a serious thing. So nobody really worried about what we call eternal security until the evangelical movement. For most of church history, nobody was debating these kinds of things. It was when evangelicalism came along that somehow, instead of leaving everything and walking with Jesus, becoming a Christian meant praying a little prayer, walking forward in a service. And then that's it. You do that, you're done. So then you can tell people, don't worry. You've prayed the prayer. You've walked forward. Now it doesn't matter what you do. You're fine because you're going to heaven. That's not salvation. That isn't the kind of changed life to which God calls us. That's delusional. You can get anybody to do that. And so, but people began to debate, like, wait, can you lose your salvation? Can you gain it? Jesus talked about abiding in him. But of course, if you really know him, you're going to abide in him. You're going to stay. If not, he goes, your other option is to be on the trash heap. So Jesus just says it. Now, there are people who try to deal with this and go, well, it's talking about your name won't be blotted out. So therefore, it doesn't necessarily mean that it ever could be blotted out. And, you know, understand what Jesus is saying here. He wasn't at all interested in making people who want to do life their own way feeling like they're fine. That was, you know, that, that was the furthest thing from his mind. So can you lose your salvation? Can you not? I don't know. If you lose it, did you ever really have it if salvation is eternal life? But our concern shouldn't be that. Their concern is, look, if you could just keep working on this, you'll still be a Christian and you will still be with me and I will work in your life. And so he lays that out there. Uh, again, you can consult some of my other studies if you want more in-depth analysis, but furthest thing from his mind was assuring these people that they're still saved. He would never do that. Um, but then he closes off, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to this. This is what he is saying to the churches. So, I say, it's a good time for us to look at ourselves, to look at our church, 
to look at each of us individually, to look at our lives, to look at our relationships, everything in our life. Is it dead or is it alive? Now, again, we don't want to be like weak in a Bernie's where we're just like trying to keep somebody looking alive if they really aren't, or like Washington. But at the same time, it's like, what about me? What about our church? What about every relationship in my life? Are they real? Are they growing? Are they what they're supposed to be? Or am I just okay being comfortably numb? Am I just okay going, well, you know, it's fine. I don't really like to think about that too much. I'm just, gonna, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of another. Hey, I understand how easy it is to become overloaded and exhausted and just feel like, you know what? Right now, I'm not thinking about goals for my life. I'm just trying to make it through another day. I get that. I feel that sometimes. I have the same struggle that almost everyone else has in these areas. But I'm reminded by him, wake up. If it takes a cup of coffee or a five-hour energy drink or whatever, find a time of day when you are your sharpest and ask yourself this question. How balanced is my life? How balanced is my relationship with God? Am I valuing the things that I truly value the most? Or am I spending most of my life on things that are just killing time, burning up resources? And, and then remember, when you're sharp, when you're on top of it, ask yourself, go back and say, what was it that I grabbed? What was it that I truly wanted? Not on the surface, but deep at the core of everything that I am and everything that matters, that is valuable. What was it that brought me to Christ that I said, I need that. I want that. That's what I'm going for. Um, that's a really beneficial question to ask ourselves. And then, you know, as he kind of led them through all of this, after that awareness, are you going to protect that? Are you going to live your life in such a way that you are thinking creatively about the conclusions that you come to as you're reflecting on your life itself? Or are you just going to go through life on autopilot? And you can do that, but there's a danger that at some point your autopilot just turns into dead. It's, it's just not there. There's nothing there anymore. When you lose people that you love, you realize how precious life is. And so Jesus, using this strong language about death, is trying to shake us and get us get our attention to say, you're not dead yet. How about start to live your life? the way you can. Bring yourself back to the core of what matters, of what you value, of what God matters. Connect, reconnect with him. I, I think, you know, when I think back to when I was a new Christian, God, I, nobody ever had to tell me to come to church on time. I wanted to get there early to get a seat. I, nobody, like, had to urge me to, come on, sing. And our songs that we sang were all pretty corny songs. I didn't come for the songs. I came to be with God's people and to worship him. Nobody told me, you should read your Bible every once in a while. And I loved reading the Bible. I had, you know, it's alive. It's, there's so much that I could learn from it. I never wished the Bible study would finish. And I, 
I loved memorizing scripture, hiding it in my heart. I liked telling people about the truth of that, that Jesus died for you and he loves you and he can offer you life. Nobody had to tell me to do that stuff. That was what I fell in love with about walking with God. And I became just absolutely blown away that he could talk to me. That there were times if I listened. And sometimes it'd be like, I had to go out in nature and I had to wait a while. And when you, when you want to meet with God and hear from him, he almost always makes you wait a little longer than you want to. And you're like, oh, come on, come on. And then all of a sudden it would happen and something would hit your heart and you go, wow, that's, this is actually real. This is amazing. I think for each of us, those are some exercises that we would do well to put into place. We, the church nowadays, I mean, what people are substituting for church now is ridiculous. Gimmicks and promotions and, you know, bombarding you with junk emails and selling you everything, trying to find every way they can to twist your arm, to pitch something to you. You know, that's the kind of desperation that comes when somebody's dead and they don't want to admit it. When, when we are alive, it happens organically, naturally, spiritually, and you know when it's happening and you don't have to pitch or pretend. You don't have to fantasize. You don't have to promote. It's just, wow, it's real. And I would encourage you maybe sometime this week to think about getting off alone with God. Take a little time. Maybe it's been a long time since you've really tried to do that. And just give him a chance to talk to you. Meditate on one verse maybe of scripture. Pray for him longer than is comfortable. Pray with him to the point where you're falling asleep because you're praying. Don't you remember what that was like? Have you never experienced that? It's, this is what life is. And balance your life intentionally so that you make room for the things that matter most. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word that you gave specifically to the church in Sardis, but very intentionally to us as well. And we receive it. The truth is we could, we could act like, oh, Sardis, what a dead church. But if we look too closely, we see that we have so much in common with them and what you said. And at the same time, we have a great need to wake up and be alert, to be those who are, are importantly balancing our lives, who are deciding what matters, who are always evaluating and, and prioritizing that which is enhancing our relationship with you, that which honestly reflect, reflects the real values we have in our heart. And Lord, help us to remember some of the things that we've just neglected. At one time, they were really important to us, and now they're not as important. Help us to find that life in you as we reflect on where we are compared to where we were, compared to 
where you want to take us. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards. So help us to see things clearly that we can do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.